from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And her sister was talking about this amazing musician named Ike Turner. And it was sort of like uh, wanting to show her younger sister the ropes, her younger sister's, you know, kind of country. She's just come from, from Nutbush, Tennessee. East St. Louis was a different kind of town. It was what people described as a wide open town. It was a place where the rules were just not as strict. Those places were a little too rough and tumble for her. So she was sort of fascinated, but all of this, all of the activity uh, was a little bit more than she, she really wanted to deal with. And you have to remember at the time, she was probably eight or nine years old. I'm Sarah Funsky. For many Americans, their first introduction to one of rock and roll's greatest duos came in 1960, when Ike and Tina Turner released their debut single. A Fool in Love was a top hit in St. Louis, and from there, on to the Billboard charts, where it crossed from R&B to the Hot 100, all the way to selling one million copies. there's something on my mind. Won't somebody please? Now that, of course, is a fool in love. But Ike and Tina's story began years before 1960 in the predominantly black clubs of East St. Louis. The music scene in that city and its impact on Ike and Tina's music is the focus of a news story in the Oxford American. It was authored by Maureen Mann, an associate professor in New York University's Department of Music. And she joins us today. Maureen Mann, welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So we often think of, of Tina as leaving the South. She meets Ike in St. Louis, and then they just head off to Los Angeles. But your story makes clear there's so much rich history in their St. Louis years. What prompted you to explore those years further? I had been working for a while doing research on Tina Turner for a larger project on African-American women and rock and roll, which of course would have to include Tina Turner. And in the course of doing that research, I, I learned about her time in St. Louis, but I also quickly moved on to Los Angeles and, and the global stage. Uh, but after I finished doing the work, I realized I wanted to, to step back and learn more about the St. Louis music scene, uh, especially because so many African-American artists uh, were, were a part of it. It was a really vibrant scene in the 1940s and 1950s. And Ike and Tina, neither of them were from here. They met here, uh, but they both came here separately. Take us back to what drew Tina to St. Louis in the first place. Why did she leave Tennessee at 16? 
Right. Uh, well, St. Louis was a hub for, for migration. Many African Americans were leaving the South in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and, and 50s. And uh, they were going to cities in the Midwest, in the North, and in the Northeast. And that's what Tina Turner's parents did. Um, by the time she was 16, her mother had relocated to St. Louis. She had left Tina and uh, Tina's older sister, Aileen, behind in Tennessee, and they were raised by grandparents and other relatives. But when Tina reached 16 years old, her mother um, brought her out to St. Louis. This was after Tina's grandmother had passed away. And she decided that, you know, it was time for, for the family to be rejoined. So Aileen was already there. And then Tina came, uh, came to St. Louis to join her mother and sister. So you write in your story in the Oxford American, quote, upon her arrival in St. Louis in 1956, Anna Mae Bullock, which, of course, was Tina Turner's name at that point, she would have right. found that the city operated according to many of the rules of Jim Crow that she had experienced in Tennessee. You use the phrase up south throughout this piece. What do you mean by that um, as it relates to that, uh, to segregation? The term up south is actually kind of the organizing theme of the issue of the Oxford American that the article appears in. And up south was a term that those black migrants from the south used to describe what they found in those northern uh, Midwestern and Western cities. They found that there was still segregation, there was still racism, there were still very harsh limits on African Americans. Housing was segregated, um, so they might not have faced the, the severity that um, your previous guest was talking about, you know, what she was dealing with in Selma, but they were still restricted and limited. So in a sort of you know, you trying to use humor to describe the situation instead of saying they were up north, which would have been the common thing to say. Mm. They said they were up south. So some bitter irony there in that phrase. Right. right. So how did that play out in the St. Louis and then the East St. Louis music scenes? Well, this is something that I found so interesting, and it's something that I'm still learning about because the St. Louis music scene, as, as important and as vital as it was, hasn't been researched as much as it might have been. It hasn't been researched as much as places like Memphis uh, or Chicago or Los Angeles. But it, what, I, what I've come to understand is that there, was, uh, there were music clubs on both sides of the river, uh, but the clubs in St. Louis closed down maybe at around midnight, maybe at around one in the morning. Things kept going in East St. Louis. East St. Louis was a different kind of town. It was what people described as a wide open town. And it was a place where the rules were just not as strict. And so it made it a place where there could be a lot, there was, there was gambling, uh, what people would call vice. Um, there were also these clubs where the music kept going all night long into the very, very early morning hours. And so Tina, uh, Tina Turner, or then Anna Mae Bullock, as a teenager, as a high school student, goes out with her sister and starts exploring these clubs. And she's not just going to St. Louis clubs. She's going to the East St. Louis clubs. Uh, what do we know about what prompted her to do that when she's just 16, 17 years old? 
Well, I think she was curious. I mean, one thing about her, when, something that she talks about in her autobiography, I, Tina, is the fact that she loved music. She loved to sing. She listened to the radio, and she would listen and learn the songs, and then she would sing them. So she really enjoyed music. And I think, you know, she was a teenager. She was curious. She saw her sister, who's about three years older, getting dressed up, going out. And her sister was talking about this amazing musician named Ike Turner, mm -hmm. and he had this amazing band. And she said, you know what, you've got to come see this. And it was sort of like uh, wanting to show her younger sister the ropes, her younger sister's you know, kind of country. She's just come from, from Nutbush, Tennessee. And so she encourages her sister to come out with her. Um, the mother's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess you can go. <laughs> uh, probably not mom's for first choice. And uh, Tina uh, or Anna Mae had to dress up so she would look like she was old enough to get into the club. I'm not sure what the age uh, was, but it definitely wasn't 16. Yeah. And um, and they went out. <laughs> they went out to, to hear uh, Ike Turner at this place, the Club Manhattan, where his band was the house band. So Club Manhattan, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, many years later, in 1973, Ike and Tina Turner released their album Nutbush City Limits, and the title track is about Tina's Tennessee roots. Uh, but her childhood isn't the only scene she revisits in this album. There's also a song called Club Manhattan. Let's just play a bit of that here. And that is the song Club Manhattan by Ike and Tina Turner. I feel like this is maybe one of their lesser known tracks, but descriptions that anyone in St. Louis would, would realize these are rooted in accuracy here as they're describing going to East St. Louis. As you note in your story, Maureen Mann, um, Tina wrote these lyrics. What stands out to you in them? Well, the thing that I find so interesting, first I'll just talk about the music. If, if you know the song Nutbush City Limits, this song sounds very familiar. It's basically the same, uh, the same musical track, uh, but they just added some different lyrics and they kind of slow it down. And so it kind of feels like a companion piece, that these were two very important places hmm. for Tina Turner. And I think it's significant that she wrote the lyrics to both songs, to Nutbush City Limits and to Club Manhattan. I think we, we think of Tina Turner as the great you know, front woman, the singer, the dancer. She also wrote some lyrics. She has some songwriting credits. And what she does in the lyrics is she talks about what a black club was like in the 1950s. Mm. So you're going in, everyone is dressed up, 
you know, trying to look good, look smart. Um, there's food cooking. You can get some fried fish. There's some gambling happening in the back. So along with the music, there are these other things going on. People are dancing. People are partying. And so she just evokes that scene, you know, really well in, in, in a very concise way in this song. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the portrait she paints is just wonderful here. You know, the women dressed in satin, someone frying fish up in the front. Just She packs in so much detail there. Yet you say in, in your story, in the Oxford American, she wasn't a big fan of East St. Louis. What did she not like about this scene? It, it sounds amazing. Yeah, she said uh, it was too much like the South, mm. you know, it's, it goes back to that up South idea. And, and in particular, it reminded her of places that she was kind of fascinated with, but didn't really want to spend a lot of time in. So when she was a kid, her family would go to the, the big town near Nutbush, which was called Ripley. And they would go to the section of town that had, you know, the little restaurants, the bars, the juke joints where you could play some music, you know, put money in the jukebox and play some music. Maybe there would be someone there actually playing music live. And she said those places were a little too rough and tumble for her. So she was sort of fascinated, but all of this, all of the activity uh, was a little bit more than she, she really wanted to deal with. And you have to remember at the time she was probably eight or nine years old when she was going there. Mm -hmm. um, and so you fast forward to the time when she's an, a teenager She's still, you know, interested in these clubs but or these kinds of spaces, but they're not her first choice. The things, thing that is important about them, though, is that this is where live music happens, and she's interested in being a singer. So she kind of wants to be in that space because those are the spaces you have to be in to do music. And so the man on the stand uh, that she references in this, this was Ike Turner. Club Manhattan was was a place where he played a lot. Um, and you say of the fans there, uh, they didn't know it at the time, but they were the earliest witnesses to the rise of the queen of rock and roll. Her reign began up south in East St. Louis at the Club Manhattan. So this became a venue where, where Tina herself ended up taking the stage, was a regular place for her. It was, but I think the, the thing to remember is that she doesn't become the front woman for the band right away. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it happens, it, it's almost at, at the time that, that uh, the song um, that you played at the beginning of the segment, A Fool in Love, came out, is that's when she really steps forward. So Ike Turner's band was a sort of review format, and that was the format that, he, that they continued to use throughout their career. So she wasn't the only singer in the band. There were a couple of male singers, and actually it was mostly male singers or only male singers until Tina Turner or Anna Mae Bullock started uh, performing with them. And what they would play were basically the popular songs of the day. They, they had some original songs, but they were really like a jukebox band or a hmm. cover band. And this is something that Ike and Tina Turner also continued um, once they got onto the national stage. So they would do, you know, their own songs, but, you know, their most their most successful song, Proud Mary, is a cover of a song by Creedence Clearwater Revival. And if you listen to Ike and Tina Turner records, you'll hear them doing a lot of covers. They do them their way, mm -hmm. you know, famously. With, with Tina Turner's, <laughs> famously, right? You know, nice and rough with Tina's amazing voice. But they were, from the very beginning, they were a cover band. And, and that's what you had to do to keep the people in the clubs interested. They wanted something that was a little bit familiar 
and then they wanted the you know the sparkle and the flash of of the singer but they kind of wanted to be familiar with the songs so that's what the the uh, Ike Turner at the time it was called the Kings of Rhythm his band was the Kings of Rhythm that's what they delivered so it really all goes back to East St. Louis and these clubs there <laughs> yep. Yep. And your story about this, this is it's such a good story. I want to recommend that that people read this. Uh, you can get this at OxfordAmerican.org. We also have a link on our website, stlonair.show. And Maureen, there's such interesting information in this story. I was I was very surprised to hear that you'd originally planned to come here and do some of this in person. You had to do it remotely. Were you still able to get your hands on everything that you'd been hoping to get your hands on for this? You know, not quite everything, but there are wonderful resources uh, at the Historical Society and at the universities there in St. Louis, and the librarians were so helpful. Someone looked and found the uh, the street directory from 1956 and 57, and we think we know, you know, roughly, although I can't tell you right off the top of my head, but roughly where Tina Turner's mom was probably living, you know, mm -hmm. during that year. So I was able to get a lot of information, but it, you know, I'm still hoping to be able to actually come to St. Louis when things settle down with, you know, what we've been dealing with over the last mm -hmm. couple of years and, and get into the archives um, just to find out more about, you know, what other clubs were there, what kinds of things people were saying about the clubs because, you know, there was so much going on in the clubs. And um, just to learn more about what other groups were performing. Um, I was able to do some online um, archival research with the newspapers and you could see how many of the main, you know, the sort of big name rock and roll and rhythm and blues artists would all, they'd always come through St. Louis. So it was a really vibrant uh, town and Tina Turner at a very young age was a part of that and I think it really shaped her going forward. Well, I can't wait to hear what you're going to learn about this next. This research has been so interesting. <laughs> and Maureen Mann, I thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And Maureen Mann is an associate professor in New York University's Department of Music. And again, you can find that story at OxfordAmerican.org. Just click on the magazine tab and choose the winter 2021 issue. The story is called Manhattan in East St. Louis. We've also got a link on our website, stlonair.show. And you know what? We'd be remiss not to go out of today's show with just a little more Ike and Tina Turner. Here's a track that needs literally no introduction. To the story now. Left a good job in the city, working for the man every night and day, and I never lost one minute of sleep. And I was worried about the way the thing might open. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.